Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through James. says to us straight up there in verse 25 that if we look into the perfect law of liberty and continue in it and not forgetful of what we hear but a doer of the work this one will be blessed in what he does I mean how much better can he get than that God says all right listen I want you to hear my word and be a doer I don't want you to just be a hearer and not a doer and by the way when you do what you hear you'll be blessed for it Have you ever gone to one of those Scandinavian furniture stores and bought something that you had to assemble yourself? If you get lucky, you might get one with a decent set of instructions, right? Otherwise, you have a big mess of parts that somehow you're going to have to make sense of. In today's message, Pastor Gary reminds us of what James says about the instructions that God has given us in His Word. If we hear them and we follow them, then we're going to be blessed. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of James chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So when we look here into chapters 1 and hopefully into chapter 2 tonight, he spend some time talking about how Scripture is going to be the useful tool that God has put at our disposal for helping us to fight our battles of temptation. And he starts out here in verse 21 telling us, lay aside all this filthiness. The, you know, 1 John 2.16 talks about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. All sin basically enters through one of those three doors. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, 1 John 2, 16. So we're to lay aside all filthiness and, and all the overflow of wickedness in our lives, and we're to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now write down in the margin of your Bible there, Romans 10, 17, where Paul reminds us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The reason why we place such strong emphasis on the Bible around here at Cornerstone, whether it's in the main service or children's classrooms or young adults or high school or middle school teens, the reason why we put such strong emphasis on the Word of God in all areas of the ministry of Cornerstone is because we know that the Word of God is powerful and effective to change human lives. And that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And that as we hear God's Word, as we As we receive God's Word, it has this powerful, effective purpose 
of working out God's ultimate plan for our lives, beginning with and primarily for the cause of salvation. That's why Paul writes there in Romans ten seventeen, the faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's, it's that first encounter with the word of God that just reaches our hearts and begins to bring conviction and revelation and then ultimately then hopefully confession and repentance and then we turn to God and it's all triggered because of the word of God. So that's why we're unapologetic around here from men's ministry to women's ministry, young adults, youth, children, from from the womb to the tomb, we are going to introduce you to the word of God. And this is the emphasis that James places on the importance of God's Word. But he adds here that it's not enough to just hear it. He said, if, if you're just hearing it, you're deceiving yourself. He said, it's like, it's like somebody looks in a mirror, walks away, forgets what his or her face looks like. He said, it's of no effect to you if you simply hear it, but don't apply it to your lives. And so that's, that's the main emphasis here. Deception of information comes when we just hear, but we don't apply. That's why he emphasizes here being doers of the Word. And between verses 22 and 25, I just underline in my Bible the word uh, doer uh, three times, the word does once. And so the emphasis, again, is not on simply being hearers, but on doing what God's Word says. And, and, and thus, the Word of God is powerful and effective in our lives. There are different places in Scripture that the Bible speaks about itself as having various uh, benefits uh, in our lives. Uh, for example, uh, the Bible is like a double-edged sword that cuts me open and convicts me. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so there are times when you can just take God's Word, you can just sit alone with the Lord, and you just open up the Bible, and it, it serves to be like a scalpel, like a double-edged sword, where God will use it to just kind of cut us open, and do His surgery in our lives. It's also like a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path that guides me. Many of you are familiar with Psalm 119, verse 105, which says just that, that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And the idea there in Psalm 119 is that it is useful both in the near for my feet and for the distance for my path. And so, you know, there are times that we need wisdom from God just for today. And there are times we need wisdom from God for next year. And so it's the feet and the path where God's Word, when we just start to read it and meditate on it, and we, and we draw near to God through the pages of Scripture, and how we then receive His insight and His counsel and His wisdom and his revelation from scripture that helps us both in the near term and in the long term so it's important as a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path that guides me the bible is also like a fire that refines me and a hammer that breaks up the hard places of my heart 
Jeremiah wrote like this in Jeremiah 23, 29, when he quotes the Lord and he says, Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? And so sometimes God's word has that refining effect, like a fire, where it, you know, you start to read scripture and, and God just begins to refine you and turn up the heat and, you know, and just like a purifying effect of fire in our lives, like, like in the purification of the process of, of making metals pure, how the fire, the intensity of the fire begins to, you know, raise the impurities to the surface and they get skimmed off so that metal can be more pure. And so God's word sometimes has a purifying effect and like fire and, uh, and, and like a hammer, Jeremiah says there, that just kind of, you know, God once in a while just needs to clobber us with his word and to break up those hard places of my heart. The Bible is also like water that washes away the impurities of my heart. In Ephesians 5, 25 to 26, Paul writes to husbands and he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. So Paul uses this analogy of how the love of a husband for a wife is like the love of Christ for the church. And one of the things that God uses to help purify us is to wash over our hearts with his word. And then the last thing I'll just point out about the effect of God's word is the Bible is like pure spiritual milk that nourishes me and helps me to grow. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, Peter writes, As newborn babes, we are to desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And so God's word nourishes us and feeds us. So it's important, folks, that we get into God's word, that we don't just come to church and hear it, that we put it into practice. It's a dangerous thing to hear the Word of God and do nothing with it. It's interesting because in 2 Peter 2.21, Peter writes about how it's better for them never to have known than to have known the way and to turn their backs on it. That there seems to be, in God's economy of things, greater grace for ignorance, certainly than for arrogance. And it's an arrogant thing to hear the Word of God and to do nothing with it. And so we must be doers of God's Word and not hearers only. And he says to us straight up there in verse 25 that if we look into the perfect law of liberty and continue in it and not forgetful of what we hear, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. I mean, how much better can he get than that? God says, all right, listen, I want you to hear my word and be a doer. I don't want you to just be a hearer and not a doer. And by the way, when you do what you hear, you'll be blessed for it. I mean, how can it get any better than that? God just says flat out here, you'll be blessed if you do what it says. You know, it's very similar. Uh, You don't need to turn there, but uh, in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus was uh, finishing up the Sermon on the Mount, If you have a red-letter edition of the Bible, uh, in your Bibles, almost all of chapters 5, 6, and 7 are read because it's the longest recorded sermon that Jesus taught. And he concludes the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27 
by saying something very similar to what James says there about hear the word of God and do what it says and you'll be blessed. Listen to what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 24. He says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So very similar language. Jesus concludes the whole Sermon on the Mount by saying, if you hear what I'm saying and you do it, your life will be established on on a firm foundation. It's like building your house upon a rock. But if you hear these words of mine and don't do what I'm saying to you, it's like building your house on a sand and the winds are going to come and the storms of life are going to hit, but you have no foundation. So it'll do you no good if you simply hear, but don't obey. You hear, but you don't put it into practice. So back here in James chapter 1, this is the very thing that James is telling us to be about. Hear the Word of God and apply it to your lives. Do what it says, and you'll be blessed for it. Now, back here in chapter 1 of James verse 26, he says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue. So again, there are different places where James talks about speech and he, and he talks about, you know, bridling the tongue. Here's one example of it, like a horse's bridle. You know, you, we got to rein it in. Uh, and again, I quoted this last week, but Psalm 141 verse 3, where David says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Amen. And James is going to spend a whole other part of chapter 3 talking about the tongue. So he's not done here. But it's interesting because he says, listen, you can have all this God speak all you want, but if you don't tame the tongue, he says, if you don't bridle your tongue, you deceive your own heart and one's religion is useless. So don't, don't mess up your testimony by the way you talk, right? Don't, and by the way, it's not just verbal communication these days. It's all kinds of ways that people communicate. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. I've had people say to me, listen, they've shown me people's social media. And they're like, how come this person says that they're a Christian, but yet look at their social media? It's another form of speech. It's another form of communication. Be very careful what you put out there. Because if it's inconsistent with what you say you believe, then you have just uh, basically tainted your testimony by speech that is inconsistent with what you believe. And this is, this, it should go hand in hand. A lot of what James is going to teach us here is this. If you're really a Christian, it should be obvious by the way that you act, by the deeds that you do, by the way that you talk, by the way that you love other people. There will be evidence to your faith by the way that you act and behave. And speech is just one part of it that he's touching on throughout the whole book of James here. But he says, don't deceive yourselves and don't make your religion useless by an unbridled tongue. Rein it in and guard your speech like you guard anything else in your life. And then he adds here in verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. And he talks about orphans and widows. And he says, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself 
unspotted from the world. And there's a special place in the heart of God for orphans and widows. And there should be a special place in our heart too. In Psalm 68, verse 5, it says, A father to the fatherless and a defender of widows is God in his holy habitation. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. Several years ago, I, I joined a group from our church. We went down to Honduras on a mission trip, and one of the places we stopped was an orphanage. You know, we spent time with the kids and, you know, just loving on them and playing with them. And, and then when we left, we weren't told this going into it, probably because they knew our emotional reaction would be different, and they just wanted us to act normal and to be around all these kids. But after we left the orphanage, we were told that every single one of those kids had AIDS, had HIV. Every single one was HIV positive. Asymptomatic, but HIV positive. And it was just crushing. I'm glad they told us after and not ahead of time, because, you know, barring a miracle, all those kids in, in a matter of a few years may likely die. Man, God has a special place in his heart for orphans. And God bless those of you who have opened your hearts and your homes uh, to orphans and uh, adopted people, who, uh, children who didn't have a mom or a dad. Um, of course, everybody has a biological mom or dad, but you know, biology doesn't necessarily make a mother. And biology doesn't necessarily make a father. It's, it's a heart that makes a mom or a dad. And, um, and God has a special place in his heart for orphans and for widows. Don't forget the elderly. And not every widow is necessarily elder either. Obviously, you can be widowed at any time in life. And we have to remember those who are alone. Orphans and widows are alone. And God is a father of the fathers and a defender of widows. And we need to have a special place in our hearts for them as well. And to show it. Because this is all part of just putting our faith into action. So he ends chapter 1 here on that note. And then into chapter 2, James is going to cover two great themes. The first is, don't show favoritism. The second is, do put faith into action. That's really what chapter 2 is all about. So let me, let me read a little bit here from chapter 2, starting at verse 1 down through verse 9, then we'll come back and start looking at these two great subjects here. But he says in verse 1, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Circle that word. Some of your translations will say favoritism. For, there, for if there should come into your assembly... And by the way, that word assembly in the original Greek is synagogue. So it's interesting because James is written to Jewish believers scattered throughout Asia Minor. So we have here an indication of how a synagogue was not exclusive to Jews alone. These are also Jewish believers who are occupying the synagogue. So he says, For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
Listen, he says, my, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Uh, do they not blaspheme uh, that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. All right, so we'll pause there because this first thing that he's dealing with here is favoritism. And uh, he's pointing out the fact that, hey, uh, even in the church, Unfortunately, Christians can be guilty of showing favoritism. And he starts out here in verse 1 by saying, don't. Don't show favoritism. Again, New King James and ESV and King James uses the word partiality, but that's what he's talking about. Don't show favoritism. And we can tend to get impressed uh, by people based on um, what they're wearing or what they're driving or how many letters are after their name. Um, um, how, how, how good-looking they are. I, I was reading an interesting study. Uh, it was a book actually written by Daniel Hammermesh called Beauty Pays, Why Attractive People Are More Successful. And this just speaks to the fact of how people show favoritism. Because according to the study, listen to this, studies show attractive students get more attention and higher evaluations from their teachers Good-looking patients get more personalized care from their doctors. Handsome criminals receive lighter sentences than less attractive criminals. And good-looking people make 11 to 15% more than unattractive people. Isn't this amazing? I mean, how do you think I got this gig? But anyway, (laughs) not true. But I'm just pointing out, according to these studies that we can have certain prejudices and biases towards the way people look and how they're dressed. This is the kind of thing that James is talking about. He says, he says, you know, consider this. Somebody walks into the fellowship, they're really, you know, they're dressed to the nines, and you give them a special seat, but somebody else who hasn't bathed in a week, they look homeless, and, and you, you're going to put them in some, you know, corner of, of the sanctuary. I mean, how, how ungodly is that treatment of, of people? And so he says, don't do that kind of thing. Don't show favoritism. Don't show partiality here. And he, he says that it's a sin. He, he says in verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, great, you do well. And he's quoting from, from the Old Testament law, Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Jesus, by the way, raised that standard in John's gospel when he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we are to love one another as he has loved us, not just love one another as we love ourselves. Under the old covenant, self was the highest standard. Under the new covenant, God is the highest standard. I mean, he's always the highest, but it was reduced in the Old Testament, uh, Old Covenant standard to mankind and how he can work his way, you know, and how how his um, deeds of righteousness can uh, prove his faith. But in the New Testament, you come to the New Testament, you're like, okay, Jesus is like, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But James goes on here to say, 
If you show partiality, notice that in verse in verse eight, uh, uh, rather verse nine, he says, "You commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors." Pastor Gary Hamrick is bringing us through the book of James in the current series on Cornerstone Connection. The book of James is filled with incredible words to live by, like these. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. These are hard words to practice, but James gives us a reason. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There is nothing more beautiful than a faithful heart, but the path to growing one is filled with hard things. James tells us in chapter 1, verse 4, that when steadfastness has had its full effect, you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So next time you face a trial or hardship, remember these words from James and begin to count it all joy. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry out of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Do you live in the area? Take the next step and come see us in person. We would love to share a Sunday service with you at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 in the morning. We're also here every Wednesday night at 7. When you enter into community, you start to grow in the faith at a faster pace. We'd love to be that community for you. Well, we're out of time for today, but we'll be right here again next time. Come back and see us as we learn how to follow Jesus more closely together on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes Mercy is waiting for you With every sunrise Turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525.